Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor John Gable delivers the message entitled, People with a Purpose, Witness. So join us now from the sanctuary of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. Friends, let us together confess that which blocks or prevents us from living in the light and love of Christ. Let's confess together the prayer that is printed in your bulletin. Gracious God, in every age you have chosen men and women, the old and the young, to spread your good news and light your light in the darkened places in our world. We have been recipients of your goodness and love, but we confess that we have been hesitant to show your love and share your light with others. We have kept your good news to ourselves by our selfish hearts and feeble faith. We pass by neighbors in distress and are indifferent to those in need. We are quick to blame and slow to forgive. We are better at practicing religion than living in faith. Forgive us, Lord, that we may better serve you and the coming of your kingdom. This we pray together and in the silence of our hearts, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, hear our prayer. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. I invite you to stand and join me in affirming our faith through the words taken from the Book of Order of the PCUSA. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Christ, God reconciles all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. In Christ's name, therefore, the church is sent out to bear witness to the good news of reconciliation with God, with others, and with all creation. In Christ, the church receives its truth and appeal, its holiness and its unity. You may be seated. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadows of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I've labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with God. And now the Lord says, 
who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I'm honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. That is a powerful teaching from the prophecy of Isaiah. I think of that text as being one of the turning points in Israel's history, hence ancient history. Our second lesson take, is taken from Luke's gospel, the final chapter. This is Jesus' commission. Again, let's listen to God's word to us. Then Jesus said to them, meaning his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Amen. And let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of this day, for the privilege of worship. We would pray now that you would silence in us any voice that is not your own so that we might listen to your voice through the message of Scripture and our reflection upon it so that we might live in a way that brings honor and glory to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe the church must continue to ask the question I have asked of myself repeatedly throughout my life. And I imagine it's a question you have asked of yourself as well. Why am I, why are we so blessed? I mean, certainly you've heard me speak of this before, but as I look upon my life at the opportunities and privileges I have been given, at the love I have been shown, I cannot help but ask, why me? I mean, so many times we ask that question in times of difficulty, but I find myself asking it out of a, a sheer sense of gratitude, a deep awareness that with privilege comes responsibility. I believe that I have been blessed not merely for my own comfort or security or convenience, but in order that I might be part of God's blessing to others, and I believe the church, we collectively, can say the very same. The reason that we, the church, must continually ask the why us question is that we are recipients of the greatest good news the world has ever known. The gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, of God's love, of God's grace, of God's forgiveness, of God's mercy, poured into our life because of his life. As we consider this great privilege and blessing, 
acknowledging that really we had nothing to do with it, nothing at all. It has been given to us as a free gift. The question then naturally comes, why me? Why us? Why have we been so blessed as to be called the children of God and entrusted with this glorious message of salvation? And the only answer we can faithfully give is that with great privilege comes great responsibility. We have been so blessed, not for our own comfort and satisfaction alone, but that we might be agents of God's blessings to others. This Lenten season, we've been addressing the topic of the purpose of the church. You may recall we began with the church's primary purpose two weeks ago, that one thing that the church can do which the culture cannot do, that being worship. And so worship lies at the very center of everything else that we say or do. Last week, Terry preached a, a powerful message reminding us that the church is called to its mission to building relationships with others in Jesus' name, sharing with others what God has done in our lives and all that we are required to do, all that is necessary of us then, is just go and share. In this sense, the call of God which comes to us is then echoed through us into the lives of others. C.S. Lewis put it this way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs. And if they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals, all the clergy, all the mission, all the sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became human for no other reason. Karl Barth says the same. The church is the particular people of God. It is the congregation, or in Calvin's terms, the company, which through a bit of knowledge of the gracious God manifest in Jesus Christ is constituted appointed and called to be his witness in the world. Simply put, the purpose of the church is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. A witness in a court of law is called to attest to something that they have seen or heard and know to be true. If you are a witness to an automobile accident, it means that you actually saw the accident. If you are called to witness to that in court, it, you are asked to tell in your own words what you saw with your own eyes. Nothing more and nothing less. And that's exactly what the church, and by that I mean you and me and us collectively, this is what we are called to do on God's behalf, to tell in our own words what God has done, what God is doing in our lives, individually and collectively. We, the recipients of his love, of his grace, of his mercy, of his forgiveness, shown to us in Jesus Christ. In our gospel lesson this morning, we hear Jesus speaking what we know as the Great Commission, the way Luke tells it, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. You are witnesses of these things. 
Each of the gospel writers will share the Great Commission slightly differently, but each speak of Jesus sending his followers out as witnesses to that which they have seen and heard, that which they know to be true about Jesus. And that sending now extends to you and to me as well. Why me? Why us? Because we have been so blessed with this good news. Not simply to make us self-satisfied and complacent in our favored relationship with God, but in order that others may hear, that others may believe, that others may also be so blessed. We've been called to tell the good news. And so tell it we must. In our Old Testament lesson, the prophet Isaiah, now this is 600 years before the time of Christ, speaks of the suffering servant of God, the one who will be the carrier of this message of salvation. And speaking through the prophet, the Lord says, it is too light a thing, it is too easy a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the survivors of Israel. If Israel of old the so-called people of God, had a fatal flaw. I believe it is at this point. You see, they thought the message of salvation was intended for them and them alone. They saw themselves as exclusive recipients rather than generous transmitters of this good news. And as a result, their focus became inward and self-directed rather than outward and other-directed. They prided themselves on being God's chosen people rather than seeing their privilege as the call of responsibility. Now let me pause at this juncture to say the church must ever be on guard against this being our fatal flaw as well. That we don't come to see ourselves as the chosen few living in a broken and corrupt generation, speaking only to ourselves of how blessed we are rather than owning up to the responsibility we have been given to share this good news with others. So, back to our lesson from Isaiah. As a corrective to this self-centered way of thinking, theirs and ours, we might say, God says, I give you as a light to the nations, that all the nations may come to see the salvation and that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Israel was being called to break out of this self-sustaining mode of existence in order that they might fulfill their God-given calling of being a light to the nations. They were being called to be proclaimers rather than protectors of this divine truth. And friends, the church is called to the same today. We must ever be on our guard against a self-protective mode of existence, somehow thinking that we have been given exclusive rights to this message simply to make us comfortable and satisfied. That simply is not true. It would be too light a thing if this good news was given only for us and our satisfaction our benefit, our blessing. No, we have been blessed to be a blessing, chosen to be witnesses of God's saving purpose to every people, every nation, every tongue. And if we're not doing this, 
then we're not fulfilling what God purposed us to do and be. The task of witness to God's saving act in Jesus Christ is both our greatest privilege and our greatest responsibility. And it's been given to each of us. Each of us, not just the selected few of us. Richard Armstrong was a professor friend of mine at Princeton. He writes, the ministry of evangelism, or what today we are calling witness, belongs not just to gifted individuals, but to the whole church, and there is something every member of the body of Christ can do to help fulfill that ministry. Jesus clearly says, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. Not I hope you will be, not if only you could be or would be, but you are my witnesses. And so our primary task and calling is to be about the business of giving to others that which has been freely given to us so that others may know what we have known, that others may experience a relationship with God as we have known a relationship with God, that the cause of Christ and his kingdom might be furthered and advanced. Many today are speaking of the demise of the church, or at least its decline of the church in America. Well, the church isn't going to go anywhere. The church is God's, not ours. But I do believe that the statistics are sobering and must be taken seriously. And the reasons given for this decline are myriad and fingers are being pointed in every different direction. But I can't help but wonder if we should be taking a hard look at ourselves, both in the pulpit and the pew, asking ourselves what part we might be playing in this decline. I can't help but wonder if somehow we have failed in this, one of our primary purposes, that of witness. How often do we speak with another about what we believe and why we believe it? Of the blessing we know of experiencing God's love and forgiveness in our own lives. As to why we give of our time and money and energies to the work of the church of the benefits we enjoy by being part of a fellowship of believers as to why we find such joy in serving others here and abroad. Paul Turnier writes, our task is to live our personal communion with Christ with such intensity as to make it contagious. <laughs> we know all about contagion now, don't we? <laughs> Far more than we knew years ago. So how contagious are we in, in sharing our faith? Perhaps rather than blaming the culture for not coming to us, perhaps we would be better suited to ask ourselves if we are going to them. And if in our going we are speaking a language that they understand and are drawn to. Our task, our privilege, our responsibility as the church and as individual believers is to live our faith with such intensity and I wish Turnier had used the word vitality that makes more sense to me to live our faith with such vitality as to make it contagious such that others would want to find what we have found or better to be introduced to the one who has found us our purpose is to live as Christ's witnesses in our homes, in our schools, in our places of business and leisure, 
in such a way that others will look at us and see there's a difference about you. What is that difference? Jesus says, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That should be our lifelong desire. To live our lives in such a way that others might see a difference in us that they desire for themselves. I mean, what would you think of one who discovered a truth that could radically change people's lives for the better, but chose instead to keep that truth to themselves and a precious few? A doctor who found a cure for cancer, a researcher who discovered a life-enhancing remedy, a benefactor who had the means to relieve the suffering of many, but chose instead to keep those resources to themselves. Would you call them selfish? Insensitive, self-absorbed, insensitive, or isolated from the world's needs? How then is it that the church is any different if we keep this good news of Jesus Christ to ourselves. This is the greatest good news the world will ever hear. He offers us life, abundant and eternal. We have a story to tell, and it's a great story to tell. But we must never underestimate that we have the power to tell it even in the way we live our lives that our actions allow us to win the right to be heard. Some have said that Christianity is better caught than it is taught. So consider for a moment the number of people you come in contact with each day. Neighbors you meet on the street, the clerk you chat with in the grocery store, those you do business with, those you can call by name, those who are simply familiar faces, those with whom you live or work on a daily basis, those who only watch you from afar. How many folks do you think you come in contact with every day? A dozen? Some of us hundreds. That number will vary for each of us, but then multiply that daily number by weeks, months, years. That's your sphere of influence for Christ. And God has commissioned you and me to be his witnesses, his light in that circle. Who is to say whose life we may touch with the good news of Jesus Christ and how far their sphere of influence may extend? A Sunday school teacher named Mr. Kimball led a Boston shoe clerk named Dwight L. Moody to give his life to Christ in 1858. Moody became a famous evangelist and in England in 1879 awakened the zeal for Christ in the heart of Frederick B. Meyer, the pastor of a small church there. Meyer, invited to preach on a small American college campus, brought a student named Wilbur J. Chapman to Christ. Chapman engaged in YMCA work, employed a former baseball player, Billy Sunday, to preach a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. After that revival, a local group was so enthusiastic they planned another campaign bringing Mordecai Ham to preach. And during that revival, a young man named Billy Graham heard the gospel message and yielded his life to Christ. The same Billy Graham who went on to preach to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands perhaps, the saving, life-giving message of Jesus Christ. 
It was Graham who said the evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of people and nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We're not responsible for the past generation, and we cannot bear full responsibility for the next one. But we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities in this age and take advantage of our opportunities. And with that, we've now come full circle as we talk about our responsibility that becomes the privilege we have been given. Why me? Why us? Why have we been so blessed with knowing the love and the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? I assure you, it's not for us alone, but that we might be a light to the nations, beginning right here, right here, in our homes, in this neighborhood, in this community, and out into the farthest reaches of the earth. We are not the light, but we can point to the light. We can reflect the light so that salvation of God may reach to the ends of the earth. Why? Because we are a people with a purpose to bear witness to God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray it. Amen. And let us pray. Lord, you have gifted us in ways really beyond our imagining. Why us? Why me? Lord, empower us, use us, encourage us, fill us with faith such that we might be your witnesses that others still may come to know you, your great love, your forgiveness, your mercy. Through Christ our Lord, it's in his name we pray. Lord, hear our prayer. You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the Tab podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabpres.org, tap on the graphic marked Sermons, and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indie. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabprez.org. That's T-A-B-P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab. Sunday with Tab.